Welcome to Unlocking Leadership. I'm Claire Carpenter and I'm your host. So I'm joined today by Pierre Nyunt, who is the Head of Insight and Innovation at the London Borough of Barking and Dagenham. Hello. Hello, Claire. Very nice to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Pierre, tell us a bit more about who you are before we launch into the topic that we're going to discuss today. Sure. Thank you, Claire. Uh, My name is Pierre and I'm the Head of Insight and Innovation at the London Borough of Barking and Dagenham. London Borough of Barking Dagenham is in the east of London and we serve a population of about 214,000 residents. I lead a team of data scientists, behavioural scientists and service designers and our mission statement is to turn data into insight-led action. We've been doing that a plenty for uh, the past five years now. Uh, and you're modestly not telling us that actually your service is widely regarded as one of the leading data analytics services in the UK, isn't it? Oh, that's very kind of you to say. It's fantastic when people are so kind to express that. We've been working really hard over the past five years to get the best improved outcomes for our residents. And that has really shown in the recognition we've received as a local authority, but specifically as a team. In in the past sort of two years alone, the team won a public service intelligence award from the IESE for most intelligent public service. For two years consecutively now, we have been uh, shortlisted finalists in the Local Government Chronicle Awards, one for Team of the Year, which is fantastic because it's not every day you see a non-frontline team get to the finals. And this year we're up for a technology award for our implementation of a single view of a resident and how that supported us helping the most vulnerable residents throughout the COVID pandemic. Um, Mm. So it's wonderful to get the recognition even better when we see lives improved. I love that. Thank you for bringing that to the fore, because I guess that's the whole why of it, isn't it? That's the point of it. Oh, absolutely. I think in Barking Dagenham, where we can see that as a result of our efforts and actions, we see decisions being made better or faster to improve the outcomes that our residents want. That is a very fulfilling role to have. Uh, And I think a a lot of my colleagues and peers in the industry, let's say the data analytics industry, are ultimately sort of doing the same thing. You know, we're trying to get people to buy more things or goods or services or develop e-commerce platforms and all of those sort of good things. But I think how that translates into applying data and analytics in government is totally about improving outcomes for people. And how did you come to take this role on? What's the the journey that you've taken to get to here? My CV, if you were to look at it, probably doesn't quite make any sense. I, I started my career in a Chinese oil and gas company which was rather short-lived because I thought there must be more to life than drilling holes into the earth. But what I was doing at the time was probability statistics and thinking about kind of the engineering of drilling techniques. I moved on into my very first stint in public services, which was for the then known as the National Policing Improvement Agency, where 
one of my claims to fame there is just supporting the development of a tool called Crime Mapper, which is still live to this day. It's on police.uk. And it's a tool that when you put your postcode in, it tells you how much crime has been going on in that area. Uh, we launched that back in 2009. And that was basically about bringing data together from 44 police forces in England and Wales into sort of a single digital output. I really enjoyed that application of my particular skill set. I did take that into the private sector for a while in management consulting. I had a very small green technology startup company. Then I landed in Barking and Dagenham because of the ambition and vision of the leadership team there in wanting to be innovative with data and analytics and acknowledging that it was an important piece of the puzzle for improving outcomes in Barking and Dagenham. And it's with that vision and ambition that I was able to kind of translate my personal career moves into landing the role in B&D and then and sort of making the role fit around my skill set, but also hiring really smart people with different skill sets in a, in a multidisciplinary blended team that I think has actually just driven the best ideas and creativity in the East End of London. So I'm thinking about sort of your passion for this area and the outcomes that it supports. And I'm wondering, in the context of leadership then, how do we as leaders make more use of data analytics and bring that to life in our role? I mean, this industry is growing and growing massively. There's a general acknowledgement that we can get more value out of data. You see this sort of quote being branded around quite a bit, like data's the new oil, mm-hmm. which I don't quite like, actually. I think, I think the purpose of the quote is to talk about value, but oil is still a limited resource. But I, I think the, the, the sort of the idea behind it is, Data is a gold mine and we can get good value out of it. We can understand our residents better, our customers better, all, all of those good things. So it's it starts with that acknowledgement. But where I think that it gets tricky for business leaders is how we move from the acknowledgement of value to implementing it as a business as usual practice within your organization. And this is a hard thing for people in this profession, partly because sometimes we've got our form wrong, i.e. our structures within organisations wrong, and partly because we've got our strategies wrong. And data previously uh, has, has sort of been seen as perhaps only sort of something that happens in your IT department or your technology department, and not something that happens at the C-suite in your strategic leadership. What we've done in Barking and Dagenham has elevated the function of data and insight into the strategic core of the the decision-making core of the organisation. So for me, it's not about necessarily seeing data as an entity on its own, but it's about how we embed that across the structures and strategies of the organisation. I remember having a discussion with uh, someone who 
we're having this 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 conversation actually exact same conversation about how do we get our leaders to engage and there was a lot of talk about do we get our leaders to go on sort of courses to teach them about data and analytics my view of that was no what do we use data analytics for i don't think our leaders have an issue with understanding data analytics it's more about how they make decisions so data analytics is an enabler to that as opposed to a, a form and a function by itself rather than saying that i'm a data analytics professional why don't we say actually i'm a strategic leader i just do it well with data i'm a policy advisor but i do it well with data data is something analytics is something in your toolkit as opposed to a brand on itself and i think that's where we can suddenly see the value coming through in organizations where they begin to appreciate that yes there is a great deal of insight that can be garnered from data sets but how we're going to use that in the strategy and operations of our organization that's when you're going to get the most impact yeah I'm remembering a really old model about data and information that it's presented as a hierarchy and it talks about how data becomes information which leads to knowledge which leads to wisdom you know that old model yes absolutely yes I'm sort of hearing that as I'm listening to you, thinking about how then from your role, and I love your title, Head of Insight and Innovation. You know, That's what the data that your team are, are working on produces, isn't it? That's right. Insight and Interestingly, innovation. it's not head of data. No. Uh, and deliberately, it's not head of data uh, as well, because data is, a, is part of your toolkit. But what do you want out of it? You want insight out of it. You want uh, innovation out of it. So we we innovate through insight in Barking and Dagenham, and that's why my job title is what it is. And and I and I love that. And I also love the first line in my job description, which says this po- post holder has the mandate to positively disrupt the way the council thinks. Ooh. And if my job description said nothing else but just a job title and that one line, I think it does it for me. <laughs> um, I don't feel like I need anything else to be explained to me in a job description. No, I like that enormously. Where are your challenges then in being able to do that? Because it's one thing for your job description to give you permission to do that. And another thing for you as a leader to bring that to the table in a compelling way for those leaders that might find that perhaps too much for them to handle. I will probably draw a parallel to a culture that we had at the start of the pandemic And it's something we quite often said about thinking big, starting small, but acting fast. Mm -hmm. Those principles of how we're going to drive value into the organisation. And I think the tricky thing is when you're attempting to embed analytical and evidence-driven culture in your organisation. And we have plenty of people who can think big. But if you think about the next thing I said is a sort of think big, start small, but Mm. act fast. They're almost paradoxical to human nature. So we want to think big, do big things and get them done overnight. And actually in, in a world where everybody wants to be an expert tomorrow, there's nothing wrong with slowly embedding a culture but letting that snowball over time. So when the pandemic first hit and the country went into lockdown, 
the leader of the council i remember this vividly on the on the on the 16th of march 2020 at 9am in the morning he pulled together a number of leaders in the organizations directors heads of services etc i was one of them into his office and there's a couple of us around the table and he basically said look the country's going to go into lockdown we need to galvanize as many resources we can from the council and the community to support uh, the most vulnerable people and and at that time terms like shielding people and clinically extremely vulnerable hadn't really come to life yet this was but this is before march 23rd when we did actually lock down he set us this <laughs> quite incredible challenge where he said two o'clock today the same day uh, this is at 9 a.m i've got 40 community and voluntary groups coming into the town hall chambers that we we need to sort of inspire and organize to deliver food parcels medicines prescriptions all of those sort of good things importantly i was in the room so there was a trust there that we can we can have someone who can do insight and can deliver an intelligent function to help us understand where those people are in the borough so from 9 a.m. to 2 o'clock, my team went away and ran some analysis about numbers of people in social care, children who have got health problems, all of those sorts of things. Because the task at hand was, let's try to understand the scale of which this might impact our population. And at 2 o'clock, I remember standing up in front of that room with all those voluntary groups with a map that said, by our estimates, we reckon there'll be, and I remember the exact figure, 11,753 residents who have got some form of vulnerability. And that's either in social care data that this is data that all belongs to the council, of course. We really need to help them. So, so that, you know, let's get out there with food parcels, all of those sort of things. The same time the following week, the, the council and its network had delivered 300 food parcels in one week. What was amazing about that was it took probably about a month later before the official data set started to come through from the government about who was shielding and those those programs of support were born and when we first got the the, the sort of confirmed data sets through from the government the total figure was around twelve and a half thousand people mm. we said that there'd probably be about eleven thousand seven hundred and fifty three so we we're about ninety four percent there which by my standards is pretty decent but what that did was that bought us a whole sort of four weeks of time yeah. to support people that have been vulnerable fast forward to the absolute peak of the pandemic the death rates in Barking and Dagenham were 22% lower than the the rest of London 30% lower than our neighbor to the, to our further east and about 11% lower than our neighbor to our west so when people say things like nice quotes like data saves lives mm. i think that story is compelling in enough that to say really it really does <laughs> i'm proud enough to say that because of our collective action there are more people alive today than there would have been and so just kind of going back to your point about how do you convince leaders that this is important in whatever context I think that is around making sure that your data and analytical function forms a very important part of your shared vision and your, your shared purpose. 
and giving those professionals a seat at the table. Because a piece of analytical work that you're not quite sure how it's going to turn out could quite literally save lives. And for me, that is compelling enough as it is. That is such a compelling example of that. Sort of takes my breath away, really, to imagine the impact if that hadn't happened and the impact that it did have. Yeah, and that's just data that we have in the council. If you're able to tell a room full of community actors and volunteers, like, we don't know for sure, but we think it's a pretty confident evidence base to say that we're going to have to deliver 12,000 food parcels, then you as an actor, you can begin to prepare for that, right? In comparison to saying, we're probably going to have to de- deliver 2,000 parcels. Like you, Everything that you would then have to think about in, in terms of resources and operations comes to life a lot, lot more. And, and if we said it was going to be 12,000, but it was 2,000, then great because we wouldn't have we didn't realize that we thought we probably overstated how many people were vulnerable but if we said it was twelve thousand and there were really twenty thousand then we'd be still kind of rushing around getting our operations in order so the fact that we were able to just present a potential scale just the scale of the problem for then those actors in the community to go right i've that means i need to do x number of deliveries you know, how are we going to organize ourselves? All of those sort of things like that by like literally in that sense, like data and analytics bought us time to think. And that's what's valuable. You can get value out of data, but the fact that it bought us time to prepare for something that nobody could have predicted is really valuable in, in, in that moment. So I'm thinking about how you attract talent to your team to allow you to build that strength of being able to, I love that, think big, start small, act fast. What's your resourcing strategy for your own team? How do you build that? I really love this. I believe it was Steve Jobs who said, you know, we don't hire really smart people and tell them what to do. We hire really smart people and have them tell us what to do. <laughs> I try my best to to live that because we can't all be experts but having multidisciplinary and diverse teams for me has been incredibly effective. I am very proud that my team is quite literally gender equal in an industry that's dominated by men mostly. I'm really pleased that we've attracted people from diverse backgrounds, diverse ethnicities, people who, I guess they're a bit like me, like my CV doesn't quite make sense, but I love that because it means that you just have so many different perspectives that you can bring to a particular problem. Some of my team are university graduates, others aren't, Uh, others join through an apprenticeship program. Some of my team have a economics background, others have a sort of arts background, others have a geography background, others are musicians. Uh, and and I, I, I love that we're all good at data and we can program and do some code and all of those things, but that, that kind of doesn't matter because you, you, you'd expect that from an analytical team. But for me, when I look at the faces in my team and they've all come from different backgrounds, 
I think that is actually what's really powerful. So my recruitment strategy is always to build diverse teams to make sure the the kind of physical and hygiene factors in terms of good pay, secure employment are all there. Mm. I'm not fond of almost like the gig economy type approach where you only bring people together for a particular project, a group of contractors or something, and they disperse after. I want to give people careers. So, So for me, every single member of my team is permanently employed. There's no, oh, I'm doing this job for six months and then I'll move on to something else. And my job becomes making sure that the culture and, and environment in which those really smart people operate is one that is productive and they are heard and their voice has a has an influence. It doesn't matter how junior nor senior you are in my team, your voice will be heard and your voice has an influence. And we're a local authority, so you know there's massive policy decisions that we make, place-based investments that we make. Whatever your background is, whatever relative junior or seniority in my team, I will make sure that you have a voice and have an influence. And that's my job. It's, to, it's just to create that environment where those super smart people can feel that a piece of work they've done, a piece of insight they've delivered is going to change something. We don't stop at doing a piece of analysis and have everyone around the table go, oh, that was really interesting. We want that to be implemented in some way. We want to measure that outcome. We want to evaluate what we've been doing and see if that's uh, really making a a difference to the people that we intended it to be. Mm. I'm thinking about the challenges that pandemic has brought in terms of some of those initiatives in terms of how you connect people, how you build that culture that says, you know, we keep looking, we keep innovating. How are you, as we somehow navigate our way into a different place, not sure what that is yet, how is that coming out the other end for you? It's hard to say because we are very much still on that journey. And the thing with data analytics and, and leadership in general is it isn't a destination, is it? It is a journey. So we will continue to learn from the sort of cycle events that happened in Barking Dagenham coming into the pandemic. But importantly, what are the things that can now have a legacy impact on the organisation? So, so for example, the case management tools we we set up to support people who have health vulnerabilities we might not need that anymore but what other things can we use it for because what started off as a an issue to do with health vulnerability might mean now that some residents are feeling lonely or socially isolated and whilst there was a physical health issue before and that is that it's still there but there's there's now a something else uh, that might have led to a mental health problem mentally, you know, all, all of those sort of things where we're actually, we're now kind of thinking about what were the really great things that we did during the pandemic that will actually have a, a legacy effect on the borough as a whole. And therefore those sort of tools and products and systems that we all stood up in sort of record speed because, because we all had to, let's not just go, Oh, we don't need that anymore. There was a phase that has passed. The shielding program has passed. We legally have to delete the data and all of it. But 
the tools and systems and coordination and partnerships and friendships that we developed as a result of that, we're keeping those things. We're not standing those things down. And we're going to deploy those, that collective action um, to other problems because we know we have a level of confidence that it worked for us during the pandemic. There's no reason why we should have to shut it down. I'm not going to say we're coming out of the pandemic, but at this point, there's no reason why we we need to shut all of that down. Um, there's certain things that we legally have to. We're no longer allowed to retain certain data points beyond this year. And of course, that means that we push a button and those things disappear. But those partnerships, those relationships, those friendships, that, that lo- the logistical effort around the pandemic, they can be applied to other things. So we're keeping that stuff. So... As we draw our conversation to a close today, I wonder what you might offer as parting words of wisdom, if you like, for those leaders who are listening to you speak this afternoon and and have been inspired by the power of some of the stories that you've told in terms of the impact of being at the table, being part of the strategic function of your leadership team, not just on the side of it. What might you say to organisations where perhaps data isn't playing such a key part in their decision making? I think I would say that there are a lot of buzzwords around data analytics technology. And let's not get lost in those things. So one thing I always say is we hear a lot about being agile. You know, It's a word that is thrown around a lot and is synonymous with a particular methodology. Mm. One thing I've always said is deploying agile techniques is not the same as having agility in an organization. And the one thing I've learned through the pandemic and in my time in B&D is agility in an organization, the ability to quickly change your plan as new information and decisions are made and insight is surfaced is different to embedding a software development approach. So I think it does start at the most strategic core of the organization and your ability to embed a culture of agility. When you embark upon your data transformation journeys, Don't get lost in the words of particular development tools or, or, you know, we need to do more scrums and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm. But kind of think about yourself as someone who is going to reflect to your organization a set of values and behaviors in which you would like your organization to adopt, agility being one of them. And if you can create that culture where you can think big, start small, but act fast, data and analytics is your enabler to all of that. And those things will then form as part of your strategy because you exhibit that as in your in your own personal self. And I think that's really important because, you know, there's that sort of funny Mike Tyson saying that everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face and the pandemic collectively punched all of us in the face at the same time and 
where we've moved fast effectively is where there was already a, and I'm going to use a sort of a health terminology, but we talked a lot about pre-existing health conditions. But in my mind, if there was a pre-existing agility of the organization, you were able to adapt really quickly. If there wasn't a pre-existing culture of agility in your organization, you weren't able to adapt quickly. And and let's hope we're not going to get another collective punch in the face. But whatever the next challenge is, if you're investing in the leadership, the leadership team of your organization is investing in creating agility in your organization and the tools and processes and systems and things follow. I think that's the thing that is what, whatever the challenge comes by, you'll get there. So are you able to plan quickly for multiple scenarios? Do you even do scenario planning? And it's all about just making sure that you can continue to run your business and you apply those things to different if there's a cyber attack or if, if a town hall goes up in flames, what do we all do? And all of those sort of things. And we, we, can, we do this business continuity. But actually, the, the pandemic has taught us that we need to plan for multiple scenarios, not just to continue our business, but we need to think almost to the extremes of what could actually just completely disrupt our operations and that can be a pandemic to a natural disaster. We need to be extreme in the way that we plan. Unless we teach ourselves to do that, we won't force ourselves to think about different tools in data and analytics that we can actually deploy to get us out of those situations. That's my message to leaders. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Such an inspiring set of stories from you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. PA, thank you so much. Thank you, Claire. I hope we can do it again. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Unlocking Leadership, you can subscribe through all the regular podcast channels. And please do leave us a rating and review there. We'd also love you to share any episodes you've found interesting on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or wherever, so that others can join the conversation and share their experiences. This podcast was made in association with Cornell. It was produced and edited by Nick Hilton for Podo. Mm-hmm.